We have to dig, figure out what's wrong and fix it. Well, we've been going through a series here at Blue Point called Returning to Our First. This series, and things, instead of allowing the story to tell itself, we have imposed our own demands that story to bring us back to fall in love with the true story of God as relayed through Scripture. I'm one of those people I, I always to watch it you know, in a, uh, a fast-forward view, a smaller view of pretty much where I'm going with this entire series. So last night was like me telling you the story before the story actually has been played out. So again, that, what I presented last night is what I do believe the full scope of Scripture is saying. Now, the challenge I'm putting before myself and before our congregation is, okay, well then let's go through the full scope of Scripture and see if it really plays out in that manner. So far, so good in my eyes. Um, now, what we are up to today is Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to Exodus chapter 14. It wasn't too bad of reading this week. If you remember last week's reading, we read through quite, quite a few chapters, I think about 50 chapters. So this week was a lot easier when I opened up my Bible and I was like, okay, you know, only a couple chapters were all right. So in your bulletins, I gave you a, uh, a format. And what we're doing here is if you go in the hallway, if, you're, if you leave today, and let's say you're from somewhere else, you're not from our state, our area, and you want to follow along with our series, you can listen online through our podcast. And the goal is we have a format out there of what your reading would be each week. That way you're following along in your reading. You're reading before you come to church or hopefully during the week. And then you're, the story is familiar in your head and you can have that idea of whether I'm going off course. Of course, you're not allowed to yell at me and tell me I'm going off course. You can talk to me in the hallway. Um, however, you know, you got all these preterists in the building. I have to make that clear. Um, so... Um, However, you know, I, I want to challenge myself as well as all of us to really see the story. And with the outline, this is actually very convenient for us because now if you come to our church in the middle of a series, we could give you three months of outlines and say, okay, well, you know, you're going to have to meet with me and catch up into where our reading is. So I advise you to follow along with the outline today. You're going to find some grammatical issues, as I mentioned last night in my uh, discussion. You know, I, I have a habit of kind of spelling things wrong and saying things, you know, not spell checking. So uh, there's one on there. I already noticed that it's not what is, what it typology, it's what is typology. So uh, I'll just be the first one to notice that before anybody else lets me know, you know. All right. So beginning our story today. Um, last week, we ended at Exodus chapter 2, verse 25. And the reason why I left you some lines on your paper is because uh, if you want to write that verse down, because I would say that this verse is starting the story that we're going to read for the rest of the scope of Scripture. And here in Exodus chapter 2, verse 25, we read, God saw the sons of Israel and took notice of them. You see here, there's about to be trials, and they're, you know, they've, they've we have Moses, he's going to deal with his people that are stuck in Egypt. And if I may say, uh, one of the first Bible studies I ever went to when I became a Christian was about the iron furnace of Egypt and about how God would use Egypt to refine his people, how God puts his people in the midst of trials to refine his people. I'm sure this is not something new to all of us. We, I'm sure everybody in the room knows, yes, God has given me trials to refine my life, to challenge my life and to sometimes kind of bring us back to him. And I believe that's what's happening here in Exodus, that as you read through Genesis, you read a lot of controversy, you read some challenges, you read how God's people have kind of failed to be separate from the nations and all these details. So here, we're going to see a trial being brought upon Israel. I found this very compelling when I had been first brought to Christ because I, I thought, wow, that, that explains, you know, what's been going on in my life. I've been in, in Egypt, you know, and getting ready to be rescued. Here we see that God has now taken notice of Israel. You know, God saw the sons of Israel, took notice of them. In Exodus chapter 3, we're going to read about the burning bush. If I may, I want to give us some prophetic insight into what we're reading. So I'm going to turn to Isaiah chapter 10. 
I happen to like the way that the, the prophets and the writers in the New Testament draw out some of these uh, details in the Old Testament. And here in Isaiah chapter 10, we read about how Assyria was the rod of the Lord. Obviously, Assyria was sent to go against God's people to bring judgment upon them. And I'm going to draw out some interesting things here that correlate with our reading this week. Here in Exodus chapter 10, verse... Isaiah, I'm sorry. Isaiah chapter 10. Thank you, Derek. Derek joins me on radio, so I could count on him trying to help me out. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 20. Now, in that day, the remnant of Israel and those of the house of Jacob who have escaped will never again rely on the one who struck them, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, may be like the sand of the seashore, only a remnant within them will return. A destruction is determined, overflowing with righteousness for a complete destruction one that is decreed the lord of hosts will execute in the midst of the land therefore thus says the lord god of hosts O my people who dwell in zion do not fear the assyrian who strikes you with the rod and lifts up his staff against you the way egypt did for in a little while my indignation against you will be spent and my anger will be directed to their destruction and we see we're going to read about this today in our text we're going to read about how israel's time in egypt was up and now God is about to bring destruction upon the Pharaoh of Egypt and because he will not let his people go. Many of us, you know, we, we've probably seen the movies. So again, here in Isaiah chapter 11, we continue with a similar theme of um, the saving of the remnant and an allusion to what happened in Egypt. And I'm going to just read from verse 15. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. He will wave his hand over the river with scorching wind. He will strike it into seven streams and make men walk over dry shod. There will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant of his people who will be left, just as there was for Israel in the day that they came up out of the land of Egypt. So again, we see this motif, if we may use that phrase, um, this example of how, what God had done with his people in Israel is going to be a recurring theme through the prophets and into the New Testament. And now that I bring up the New Testament, I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If I may just say one thing as I'm turning there, um, I found it interesting that when Joseph had um, been in Egypt and he, was, you know, he got along with the Pharaoh, and then that Pharaoh had died and a new Pharaoh came, and that's the Pharaoh that imposed the harsh conditions upon Israel, that Pharaoh was an Assyrian. And you can find that reference in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 4. I thought that was pretty interesting here. You know, you're dealing in Isaiah 10 with Assyria, how the Lord had used Assyria to judge his people, you know, to bring that um, refining upon his people. And sure enough, the, 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 the new Pharaoh, Exodus 1.8, the new Pharaoh that came in was an Assyrian, according to Isaiah 52, verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 4. So here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to read to you what the Apostle Paul says to the church of Corinth about this event in Isaiah chapter 3 through 14. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us. 
so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 3,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, that they were written down for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages has come. So now, obviously I would put Paul in that time period of the end of the age in that first century. However, we can draw your application out of this. We can know now, we, we see how the apostles would have used the story of Exodus chapter 3 through 14. You don't need Pastor Mike's interpretation. I'll give you the Apostle Paul's interpretation of what's happening in that text. He's using that example from the Old Testament to exhort the congregation at Corinth that all of that stuff that happened to Israel in the past was done for an example to edify you, to show you what God is going to do at this coming of the age, at the end of the age, and edify you to not be like those wicked ones that had you know come out of Egypt grumbling and wandering and going over to idolatry. Again, I, I would posit that the entire story from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22 is about abstaining from idolatry. It's God calling his people from that darkness into light. And again, you're going to continually see this being expounded upon in our Bible. Again, in Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says to the church at Coloss, verse 16 through 17, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath day things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So again, all of these things in the Old Testament were shadows, were types pointing to the reality of what life was going to be in Christ, the mystery that was going to be revealed through Jesus Christ. So with that said, I will bring us to our reading in Exodus and get us back to uh, the context here. As I read through the book of Exodus this week, quite a few things stood out to me. First, Obviously, we know that this is that wilderness wandering. You know, they're, they're wandering out of Egypt, we read about. And I immediately begin to think about Jesus in the wilderness and his, you know, the beginning of his ministry. And I see this as that wandering in the wilderness of Israel as almost the beginning of their ministry, of what they're called to do. They're going to be drawn out from Egypt, and they're now going to have a role in the world. And we've seen last night in Isaiah 49, 6, the verse I mentioned, that that role in the world is that... Not only is God going to gather up his people Israel, but it's also the role of Israel is to play a part in bringing that covenant, that relationship to bear on all of humanity. And I believe Pastor Robert explained that very well last night as well, that that was the goal of God's covenant with Israel, to bear on all of humanity. And that's, that's why we're all gathered here today. We know that that had a light to the Gentiles, drew out the Gentiles, or drew out the Gentiles, there you go, um, drew out the Gentiles and... This was what God was doing through this whole covenantal story. We read about the mountain of God. Moses goes up to the mountain of God. And we see this drawn out many places in our Bible. Uh, Psalm chapter 48, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. And this mountain of God would have been Mount Sinai, but this mountain of God would have represented God's presence. This would have been where they would have went up again in the ancient Near East, as I had mentioned at the beginning of this series, that in the ancient Near East, it was very common that they would go up to high places to be elevated to get closer to whatever deity they were worshiping at that time. So, again, we see Moses. This, is, this story does not exist in a vacuum. This story is coming from something. There, there's, there's other things, details being drawn out in the story that cause us to examine the Bible and say, clearly there has to be other details. You know, again, and I allude to things such as, you know, how would uh, Cain and Abel have known to sacrifice? How did Noah know what was clean and unclean? You know, these are details that we don't necessarily see drawn out in the way that we're approaching the story from beginning to end. Then God speaks to Moses from a burning bush. This week I posted on Facebook about the burning bush. And I said, you know, what is the burning bush? 
and I think it's at about 200 and something. It went somewhere. And, you know, all the arguments. And, you know, you had the, the crowd that said, well, clearly it was symbol. And then you had the crowd like me that would say, clearly it was Jesus. Or, uh, you know, again, you had uh, many different arguments and discussions drawn out. However, I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. I personally do believe that the burning bush was a theophany, appearance of God to Moses. And thus why God now tells Moses his name and establishes this relationship with him. I'm going to go to Exodus chapter Three. We're going to kind of navigate through this text a little bit this morning. I'm going to read from uh, verse 10. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, the Lord speaking to Moses here, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this sign shall be... This shall be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall, they shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is the memorial name to all generations. Go and gather all the elders to Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, and the Amorite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, the Jebusite, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Again, we see an allusion to returning to the garden. Again, God is reestablishing that beautiful presence. You know, he has them in affliction, he has them being refined, and he's going to bring them back to himself. Exodus chapter 24, I'm going to bounce around a couple verses here and just kind of draw out some of the text. Exodus chapter 24, verse 17, we read, You shall make... I'm sorry, that's 25, 24, verse 17. And the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, we see the same thing being used for Jesus. In a flaming fire, he's revealed in this magnificent and glorious light. And we see in Deuteronomy chapter 4, we see in Deuteronomy chapter 33, we see continual allusions to God being fire, God being a jealous fire, God being a consuming fire. So here, the burning bush would resemble God speaking to Moses, a theophany. I am that I am. Now, if you may, turn to John chapter 8, get a little more clarity on I am. I know Brother Joe Daniels would like this, uh, this reference here in John chapter 8. Verses 56 through 59, we read, I'm sorry, I'm going to back up a little bit here. I'm going to go to 54. Or actually, I apologize. I'm going to go to 52. The Jews said to him, Now you know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. 
And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Clearly there we see that Jesus is identifying himself as that I am that was before Abraham. And you know, Joe, Brother Joe Daniels very beautifully on Friday evening displayed the deity of Christ from the Old Testament, New Testament, and the Jewish Targums. If I may draw out a couple more references to the I am, I'm going to go to John chapter 6. John very clearly in his writing refers to Jesus as the I am many times and displays the deity of Christ being relayed through Jesus. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Going on to verse 41. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered, them and said to, Jesus answered them and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not anyone that has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever, and the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Again, we see very clearly the confusion in that first century regarding who Jesus was and what he was establishing. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Then Jesus again spoke to them, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true and I am not alone in it. But I am the father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So clearly we see this reference of this burning bush, the I am that God is, being displayed in and through Jesus Christ. Jesus was the manifestation of the great I am. As we move further, further in our study, we see in John, um, Exodus chapter 6 that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Now, the Lord is going to draw Israel out. He's noticed them. He's noticed their plight in Egypt, and he's going to draw them out. And here and I, I'm just going to read through it. I will do to the Pharaoh, for under compulsion he will let them go. Under compulsion he will drive them out of his land. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my, by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel, because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. 
Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. We see here now the Lord has, is really about to draw Israel out. And I find this very interesting that the verse we just read there, that I am your God and you are my people, is a text that is drawn out through our entire Bible. That is a covenant phrase of God calling his people to himself. And an area that we really see that drawn out is in the book of Revelation. As we mentioned last night, Revelation chapter 21, where the Lord says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Derek Lambert's going to follow me, so he's going to have a lot more to draw out on the the different exoduses in the scriptures. However, what we see here is God is pulling his people out, and he's declaring them as his own. However, we see the same thing in the book of Revelation, the same exact thing. And I'll show you why. give you some comparisons here. Here, as we journey through our text, again, I'm hoping you all read it because I wasn't planning on expositing the entire text this morning. And that's the goal of making everybody read at home. However... What we do see some correlation here in Exodus and Revelation. For example, the first plague in Exodus was water was turned into blood. Right? Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 through 24. Sure enough, the first plague we see in Revelation is a third of the sea turned to blood. Revelation chapter 8, verse 8. The two witnesses had the power to turn the water into blood. And then we know that the sea, rivers, and springs turned to blood in Revelation chapter 16, verses 3 through 4. The second curse in Egypt is frogs, Exodus chapter 7, verses 25 through 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 11. Sure enough, in Revelation chapter 16, the second curse is three unclean spirits like frogs. It's all being drawn out in the book of Revelation, same story being told. The third curse we see in Egypt would be gnats. And those annoying flies, there we go. Um, Exodus chapter 8, verses 12 through 15. Unfortunately, there's no mention of gnats in the book of Revelation. I believe there's a point there. I just haven't quite figured it out yet. <laughs> the, fourth, the fourth curse, or the fourth, fourth plague, would be flies. Flies, Exodus chapter 8, verses 15 through 28. No mentions of flies in Revelation. Pestilence, livestock, is going to be diseased. Exodus chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. No mention of plague, of pestilence in Revelation, but livestock may die off if the crops are ruined, right? If everything's ruined, everything turns to blood, it's imagined that pretty much livestock is going to die. And the food would be too expensive to feed them, Revelation chapter 6, verse 6. Then the sixth plague we see in Egypt is boils, Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. Sure enough, Revelation chapter 16, one of the plagues is going to be festering sores that are going to plague the people. The seventh plague we see in Exodus is hail and lightning. Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 through 35. Sure enough, lightning hurled to earth in Revelation chapter 8, 5. Hail and fire mixed with blood, Revelation chapter 8, verse 7. And hailstones like huge weights. I imagine the Roman armies throwing rocks over those walls. Revelation chapter 8, verse 7. The eighth plague, locusts, everybody's favorite, helicopters. Um, locusts, Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 through 20, plague in Egypt. Locusts, Exodus, uh, Revelation chapter 9, verses 3 through 11. The 
The ninth plague in Egypt would be darkness, Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 29. We know that one-third of the earth is going to be dark, Revelation chapter 9. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 8, verse 12. And the kingdom of the beast will be plunged into darkness in Revelation chapter 16. The tenth plague, the death of the firstborn destroyed by the angel. Obviously, we all know this as the Passover. And we see death of one-third of the human race, or in context, what was happening in the first century. Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 through 19. So we see these echoes in Revelation, and I say that to you. The reason I've outlaid, uh, I outlined this sermon the way I have this morning is because we see a theme of drawing out God's people relayed in the prophets. We see the same thing, the Apostle Paul drawing out what that story is in the New Testament. He tells you that this was an example for what was going to happen at the end of that age. And we see the exact same example of what was happening in Exodus happening in Revelation. God is pulling his people out from the, the burden that they had been under. And we know that in the New Testament, they, they're, they're talking about the burden of the law of sin and death. God is drawing his people out from among that old covenant, that burden of the sin and death. The second exodus, as many people have come to call, call it. Again, um, Tom Holland, amazing writer on the second exodus, if you want so many resources on that. Don Preston has a lot of resources on that as well in regards to God drawing out his people the second time and a correlation of Lamentations and Revelation, as well as Exodus and Revelation. This is what we call typology. We see a type in that in the beginning. That's what that was. The Old Testament was a type of what God was going to do in the New Testament with his people. If I may just explain what typology is, and I'm quoting uh, Pastor David Curtis from Berean Bible Church. It's an interpretation of Old Testament events, persons, and ceremonies as signs which prefigured Christ's fulfillment in the New Covenant with the church. And we see this drawn out through our entire Bible of how the Old Testament, the Old Covenant people were a type foreshadowing what God was going to do in and through Jesus Christ and his church in that New Covenant period. If I may just read some quotes to end my message this morning as uh, promised and um, just to kind of draw draw out some details here. I had read an article by Pete Enns on Exodus, the plagues, and the cosmic battle. And it was a, a great article. I would, you know, again, it's free on the Internet. Pete Enns, great resources. Um, he, he references the cosmic battle that's happening in the Old Testament. Now, if I could bring your attention to Genesis 1, we see the same thing. We see a cosmic battle of God drawing his people out of that darkness I mentioned last night, bringing them into glorious light. Same thing I see happening in the New Testament. God's people are plagued in darkness, confusion, and he's bringing them into light. If, you may, uh, may, if I may allude to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here, Peter N. says, The Exodus was the formative experience for ancient Israelites. It is what made them a nation. Creation language permeates the Exodus story. This is because the biological writer understood the Exodus as another act of creation, which even included a cosmic battle. And again, you would see the Pharaoh as that great serpent. You can see this drawn out in the book of Exodus, where you see that cosmic battle drawn out, where the Pharaoh was this serpent that was about to be destroyed. And if you were to study ancient Near Eastern texts and study about serpents and all the details, you would see really how this text is being drawn out in that original period of time and how we should properly understand our Bibles. The story of Exodus may sound silly to us, but this is how Israel would have understood the supremacy of their God in a polytheistic world, how God was drawing them out from among the confusion surrounding them and bringing them as his covenant people, those who he has noticed their plight, those who he will save. The story of scripture is outlining God saving his People. Again, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus' name is not God will save everybody, but God will save his own. 
God will save his people. So again, I exhort us all this week, as I've been doing week after week, that we are still following a covenantal story from Genesis chapter 1. We're following that drawn-out story, and it's being relayed. Now we see something beautiful. God is now pulling his people out, and you're going to see good news, but unfortunately, we know that we're going to see bad news again. You know, that's kind of the story of God's people. You know, you got the ups and downs, the, the mountaintops and the valley moments. So uh, I exhort you all this week to continue reading. Uh, go through the reading list. I wish I knew in my head right now what we're supposed to read this week. I'm praying with you all that it's not long reading as well. And uh, please uh, join me in prayer as uh, we continue our service this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the ability to possess your spirit, Lord, that I might be able to even begin to worthy of the grace. Thank you for your spirit, and ultimately, Lord, thank you for salvation. Lord, we lift up praise to you and magnify you in and through Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.